The reading this morning is Philippians 1, 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, City Church. My name is Jeff Jameson. I'm one of the pastors here, and if I haven't met you yet, I hope I get to do that even today. Uh, it's a joy to be with you again this morning. Let's pray uh, as we consider God's word this morning from Philippians. Father, thank you so much uh, that we get to gather under the banner of Jesus Christ, uh, and that would you do the work in our hearts that we might say with Paul, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Father, I, I pray that you would uh, help me. Uh, Spirit, I pray that you would take my words, uh, that you would uh, take the living and active word, the scripture, and make it come alive to the hearts of all who are in this room. Uh, thank you for gathering us today. We, we truly want to honor and bless you. Uh, we love you. pray you're glorified. It's in Christ that we pray this. Amen. Well, last week we began this series in Philippians. Uh, we're calling it a Life Worthy of the Gospel. And last week we uh, opened the letter and saw that Paul was writing to really good friends. He was uh, really updating uh, or telling uh, his friends how much he loved them, essentially. It was a, almost just a, a love letter of sorts to friends. Uh, and he was telling them and encouraging them that God began a good work in him. God began a good work in them, and we'll see it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And, and as he was kind of charging them to continue to grow in love for one another, and also to uh, find it uh, in all ways uh, a way to have progress and sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness and righteousness. And this part of the letter that we're in uh, this morning 
is really going to be a little bit of a shift where Paul is not so much talking about his friends, but reassuring his friends what's going on with him. He's kind of giving them a report of what's going on in prison in Rome, which is where he's writing this letter from. Uh, and so we wanted to uh, say, and we did say this last week, that the entire letter of Philippians we want to see through the, the lens of meaning, the lens of meaning. And so uh, what I mean by that is that the story of the redemption of Jesus Christ, of Christ, by Christ, through Christ, all of that alone brings meaning to your life. Every other story is ultimately meaningless. So as we live in a culture, both here inside the church, sadly, and, and outside in broader culture, we have struggles finding meaning in life. Last week, we talked about meaningful friendship, as Paul was really just lauding praise over these good friends who loved him so well. Meaningful friendship. God brings us into deep friendship for the sake of the gospel and for our sanctification. Transformative Christian friendship, which is what Chris has been talking about at the beginning of our service, our desire for our discipleship groups. Transformative Christian friendship is meaningful and purposeful because of the life death, and resurrection of our friend, Jesus. Now today, we're going to look at meaningful calling. So last week, friendship. This week, calling. Uh, this passage, the verses that Kirk just read, 12 through 26, basically serves uh, to let Paul's Philippian friends know he's doing well. Isn't that encouraging? He's doing well despite being in prison. The gospel itself is advancing, it's thriving, despite the suffering that he's enduring. Now, the folks in Philippi were likely concerned that uh, the, the gospel was in danger of dying out. They were probably concerned about Paul's well-being. They were also concerned that the gospel uh, was no longer on the move. After all, how could it be with, with the main proclaimer of Christ sitting in a dark prison cell? But Paul writes them to tell them, don't worry. Don't worry about me, and don't worry about the gospel, because it is not dying, it is advancing. And it's advancing as God has called him into this actual place of suffering. This is exactly what God has called him to do. And so the call on his life has lasting meaning, a calling truly worthy of the gospel, now, it's, it's uh, very tempting to read a passage like this about the Apostle Paul and think, well, this, this is Paul, right? That's Paul for you. Paul is quite a guy. He's a, he's a super Christian. He's, a, he's an apostle after all. And so we can almost just read a section of Scripture like this and consider it almost just like a biography, like we would read in a book, like this is how great of a guy Paul is. I'm, I'm not an apostle. I'm not an evangelist. Uh, I'm not in prison. I don't have a big platform like Paul did. Paul's a giant, and I just can't relate to the things that he writes here. It's so easy to do that. And while it is true, none of us is Paul. We each have a calling, like Paul. We each have a calling that is just as meaningful as the Apostle Paul's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today... We're looking at meaningful calling, and if you are taking notes uh, while you set, here's my main idea, and there's three points to it, uh, so a classic three-point sermon. Uh, the ultimate calling on your life is, number one, uh, for the gospel to be first, 
Number two, as you seek to honor Christ. And number three, to serve others. So the ultimate calling in your life is for the gospel to be first, for you to seek to honor Christ and to serve others. What has God called you to be or do? I believe we all have a calling. God has called me to to be primarily a husband, a, a father, a pastor, a counselor, a friend. Today, this is where God has me. It's changed over the years. But in all these roles, the the chief goal is the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the furthering of the gospel, the gospel being first. If that is not true, then my being a husband, my parenting, my pastoring, it's all in vain. If the gospel's not first, it's all for naught, and it's going to woefully be short. So let's look at these verses again. I want to read 12 through 18 And look at what we see Paul pointing us to, that the gospel is first in his calling. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has been known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are so much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul, first and foremost, wants the Philippians to know that the gospel is advancing. It's advancing. They don't need to worry about that. In fact, it's actually through Paul's imprisonment that the gospel is flourishing in Rome. This is the call on Paul's life, to bring the gospel to bear on Rome while in shackles. Surely it's what God has, has gifted him to do. Paul is an apostle. He's a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist. He's running in the lane that God has laid out for him. And no matter what his circumstances are, Paul is rejoicing over the most important thing, the most important thing, that Christ is being proclaimed throughout the whole region, the most important thing. We also see that Paul is answering God's call on his life to make Christ known, and it's bearing fruit. It's bearing much fruit where he is. The gospel is spreading throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. So this calling has to, has to be a faithful witness It is a faithful witness while in chains. It's the news is being brought to everyone who's around him. The guards, those who are attending to him, soldiers, governors, kings. I like how one commentator puts it that I read this week, that Caesar's chains release the power of the gospel. Have you found it true in your life that when you are walking faithfully in your calling and the gospel is being prized, that trials don't seem as overwhelming? Have you experienced that? In fact, they they seem to actually have a purpose when we view it that way. That there's joy that comes from knowing we are doing exactly what God has called us to do, even through suffering, and and maybe uh, even especially because of suffering. Paul's going to spend a whole lot more in the letter of Philippians, and we will look at it over the next several weeks, talking about suffering for Christ's sake, and even sharing in Christ's suffering. But that's next week's sermon. Let's keep talking about calling. 
Notice that Paul's calling has inspired others to proclaim Christ. He divides these into uh, two groups, one that is preaching Christ out of goodwill and good motive, and the other that's preaching Christ out of selfish ambition and envy. Now, we're not exactly uh, sure uh, who these uh, groups were that were preaching out of envy and uh, selfish ambition and why they were wanting to afflict Paul. Uh, they may have seen his imprisonment as an embarrassment for Christianity. Uh, they may have seen it as a spotlight to take from Paul, uh, that it looks like the spotlight was about to go off Paul, and so here's an opportunity for these guys to take that spotlight. But what is clear is that these are believers who are preaching the gospel despite their sinful motives. They are not, notice, preaching a false gospel, uh, which Paul goes after in a big way in Galatians, right? They're not preaching a false gospel. They're preaching Christ, but they're preaching it with a sinful motive. Here's a peek into my sinful heart. As I was considering this, uh, this week, I wanted to think, well, when does this happen to me? When, when has... Uh, when have I been a, a faithful proclaimer of Christ and then others have kind of sneaked in and wanted to do that out of selfish ambition or envy? And it's almost like the, uh, the prophet Nathan, the David moment where he's like, no, this is you. You do this a lot. You do this with selfish ambition and envy. Uh, and so I must confess to you, church, this is so often where I find my heart. Uh, in, in an ugly place, in, in a wicked place, where, where uh, I, I want to, uh, out of envy, do better or take the spotlight. It's an unholy motive. What's interesting in this passage, though, and maybe something that's pretty curious to us as we think of what Paul says here, is that he simply rejoices that the gospel is being proclaimed no matter if it's from a pure motive or not. It's pretty curious, isn't it? It doesn't matter what the motive is, the Christ is being proclaimed. So we have to ask the question, does, does that mean that God doesn't care that if I'm doing the right thing with the wrong motive? Is that, is that what we're getting permission to do in this passage, that as long as I'm doing the right thing, it doesn't matter the state of my heart? Well, as Paul would say in other letters, by no means, right? By no means. Paul is actually going to challenge the Philippians in just a few more chapters to do nothing out of selfish ambition. We need to humble ourselves in the model of Christ. We need to repent of envy and rivalry and selfishness. But what's notable in this passage is that Paul wants to highlight how all the more important and ultimate it is for the gospel to be preached and proclaimed. He's meaning to highlight how important it is that the gospel is reaching the Roman Empire. And whether or not people are preaching out of goodwill or bad motive, Christ is proclaimed. And this is the call in our lives, friends. No matter what, the gospel is of first importance. This is the call to the pastor this morning of an underground church in Saudi Arabia or Iran or China who will meet this morning or sometime this week under the threat of severe persecution or even death because the gospel is first. This is the call on the teacher to be a gospel light in your school despite an unfriendly administration because the gospel is first. This is the call on a parent to disciple your children 
unto the Lord because in the, faith, in the face of a hostile culture who would say, that is ridiculous, you say, I'm doing this because the gospel is first. So we have our calling from God, and part of that calling is to make the gospel known and put the gospel first. That's number one. Number two, we fulfill the call in our life as we honor Christ in life or in death. Paul makes that point beginning in the second half of verse 18. Let me read the second half of 18 going through verses or verse 23. It says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now and always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It's a beautiful passage. Beautiful words. Paul is looking to what will happen to him and states uh, these incredible words. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He's having a hard time choosing between the two because they're both so joyous. To live means fruitful labor for Paul. Uh, But to die, he concludes, would be far better to be with his beloved Savior. And notice there in in verse 19, we we see that Paul rejoices in that he will be delivered. You see that word deliverance. Delivered from prison, maybe. Maybe. He is in prison after all, and there is a thought that Paul will eventually be vindicated by the Roman justice system. There's certainly an aspect to that word deliverance that Paul is thinking, yes, I'll be delivered from these shackles. But the word deliverance there is translated salvation. And whether Paul is released from prison or not, he knows that his ultimate deliverance, his vindication is in Jesus Christ. To continue to live in the flesh, saved by Christ, or to die and be delivered into glory with Christ. He can't lose. And he says that he has this confidence as a result of the Philippians' prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul knows that his friends are praying for him. And he knows the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, has the power to not break just prison chains, but all sorts of spiritual bondage. This is the same Paul, after all, that we read in Acts 16, where he and Silas were in a Philippi prison singing hymns and praying, and what happens? A powerful earthquake uh, shook open and broke their bonds. And now, in a prison in Rome, he's asking the Philippians, will you pray and sing hymns for my deliverance? The dependence on the body of Christ and the knowledge that the Holy Spirit has the power to deliver him. His full courage is in Christ. Knowing Christ will be honored in either life or death. Paul's calling rests on the sure promises of Christ to sustain him in life and his hope in being with Christ in death. Believer, this is what your calling is resting upon as well. This means that we really can say with Paul these words. We really can say and mean to live is Christ and to die is gain. We can say it and we can mean it. And yet we know, 
We know in this world, we know our own flesh, we know the enemy that afflicts us, wars against this all the time. We are constantly wanting to move us into the center instead of Christ. We constantly want to focus on me, to say to live is me. All around us we hear this creed, to live is self and to die is loss. This is the motto of someone who believes that death is just the end of existence and where you have to create your own meaning and significance in this life. This is the spirit of the age, is it not? To live is achievement. To die, I'd rather not think about it. To live is sex. To die, avoid it at all costs. To live is comfort. To die is to lose everything that matters. A few uh, months ago, I actually uh, came across uh, a video that was uh, trending online for a bit. I don't know if uh, you guys know what the ESPYs are. Have you heard of the ESPYs? Some of the guys are nodding. The women have no idea. The ESPYs are, are ESPN Sports uh, Award Show. Uh, and it's an annual thing. They, all the pro athletes are invited to this, and they get various awards. And I was watching uh, the ESPYs a few months ago, and they have a, an award. It's called the Perseverance Award. And this year, they gave it to a man named Dick Vitale. Now, some of you know who uh, Dickie V is. That's his nickname. Uh, he's a very famous uh, ESPN broadcaster, especially known for college basketball. And the reason that he was receiving this Perseverance Award is that he had, uh, he had just recently been diagnosed with cancer, had, had a, quite the battle with cancer, a several-month-long uh, battle with cancer, but had just been uh, cleared. He had been declared in remission, and so they'd given him this Perseverance Award. And so here he stands in front of a room full of professional athletes, and having come out, out of a significant season in his life, a brush with death, uh, he had ins- inspiring words for them. Those were his inspiring words to the room that he was speaking to. And let me quote what Dick Vitale says. He says to these athletes, keep chasing your dreams. Keep chasing your goals. To me, all of you in this room are special winners in the game of life. And what you've done to pursue your goals and remember Perseverance plus passion plus pride equals win in the game of life. Now, I, I just I want to uh, honor Dick Vitale in, in all honesty. I, I obviously do not know the man. I want to uh, appreciate his desire to encourage and inspire the room that he was speaking to. And I want to be as generous as I can to Dick Vitale, but can you hear in his words all the me-centeredness Did you hear it? That life would even be described as a game to win points to the vanity of it all. Friends, life is not a game to win. Life is not a game but a gift from God, the giver of life. Believer, our life has a meaningful calling to make his name great, to spread his fame to the ends of the earth for his glory. And death is not the end of existence, but the doorway into eternal existence with Christ. Both life and death are beautiful, and yet Paul says, departing this life 
To be with Christ is far better. To die is gain. Paul actually continues with this line of thinking about gain in chapter 3, which we'll get to later on in a few weeks. But he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Gaining Christ and death is far better. Face-to-face communion with Jesus is the fulfillment of your calling. This is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We will all get called to Jesus one day. Some of us are called to preach, some to sing, some to own a business, some to be a parent. But one day we will all fall asleep and wake up called to be with Him in paradise. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You cannot have one of those without the other, friends. Death will not be gain if life is anything other than Christ. It is not truthful to say to live is being nice, to live is social justice, to live is right doctrine. You can't even say to live is church and then say to die is gain. No, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Some of you may have a hard time understanding why this is true. After all, how can to live be a person? What does that even mean? To live is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's only through his life, his death and resurrection that we can truly live. This is the invitation made to you this morning. But first, you must die to yourself before you live to Christ because he has given his life for us. We can surrender ours because he has given his and we can take his up. Friends, that is the call this morning. The call that when answered brings meaning to all things in life and in death. Like Paul, we seek to honor Christ. We seek to honor Christ in life or in death. We put the gospel as first. And number three, we serve others. This is the third point. Uh, Life worthy of the gospel is others-oriented. Let's uh, complete this passage by reading uh, verses 24 through 26. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. A couple of questions may come up in your mind as we read these verses. First of all, did Paul really know that he was not going to die? And if he did, how did he know that? And did he really know that he was coming to see the Philippians again? And maybe another question is, did he even have a choice? It's, it's almost as if Paul's talking about a choice that he has. I'm going to live or I'm going to die and I'm choosing to live. I believe he was convinced that God had more work for him to do. Of course, God could have called him home immediately. God could have uh, called him into heaven immediately. But Paul saw it necessary to continue to serve the Philippians. And we see his reasons to do so for their progress and for their worship, for their joy 
and for them to glory in Christ. This is Paul's calling. So in this sense, when I say, what is your calling, you could also ask it a different way. Who are you called to? If you have a meaningful calling, it's not only what is that calling, but who are you called to for the sake of the gospel? One of the things that uh, most of you know and how encouraging it's been to my heart is how many of our people here at City Church have been called to the world of fostering and adoption, uh, that they have uh, desired to bring the gospel to bear, to make the gospel first in bringing in children into their homes who otherwise may be left in the margins, to bring the gospel to bear on the dark world of CPS and of family imbalances, and to preach the gospel to children who would be able to know, trust, love, and obey Jesus Christ. What a beautiful calling. What a public acknowledgement of the gospel that the families in our church who are endeavoring to do that are pursuing and encouraging us in. It's a noble calling. Who is God drawing to himself as a result of your calling? How is the church being built up and Christ exalted in your calling? These are, these are big questions. These are, these are life questions. This is not a small bite. This is a larger meal as we consider these things together. As we end our time this morning, I want to encourage us about meaningful calling. Uh, some, of you, uh, some of you might be in the process of discovering a new calling. Uh, this, this might be a new season for you, uh, something that's fresh. Maybe you've just moved to Fort Worth and you're sensing a new conviction or a new desire that God is stirring in your heart, God is faithful to bring clarity to you. Where does he have you today? Are you keeping the gospel first? Maybe, maybe the question this morning or the, or the, uh, the issue is not uh, there's a new calling or a new stirring, but maybe you're actually struggling and wrestling with the calling that God has put on your life. Maybe that's hard for you this morning. You're having a hard time seeing God's goodness in the midst of suffering. Well, if that's you, friend, God is with you. He's able to meet you where you are. And honestly, if that is you, then we would desire anyone in this room, the elders, any member of City Church would love to sit and consider these things with you, pray for you and your suffering Consider these things and ask good questions and understand what God's call on your life is and how you can be encouraged in the midst of it. He is able to meet you where you are. Magnificent, meaningful calling. Thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ that we, as his people, as a church, can say with confidence to live as Christ, to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we do. We are grateful that Those words can flow from our lips only because of you, Holy Spirit, bringing our hearts from death into life, and that we see the importance of your good news, of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, spreading throughout all the world, spreading in our homes, spreading in our schools, spreading in our places of work, spreading here this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us. Pray we would uh, lean in to you. We pray that we would intercede for one another as we consider our calling. Consider how in our calling we so often are also called to suffering. But we know you suffered for us. 
fact, you suffered all the way to the cross for us. And so whether it's in life or death, may we honor you with our ministry, with our calling. And may we seek to serve others. May we have our eyes open. May we uh, have it in our hearts a, a true desire to see your name be renowned and to see friends and family come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, a living faith, and to be grown up into the likeness of Jesus Christ. What a noble calling, and we know it's what you've placed on our hearts this morning. Thank you. We love you, and it's in Christ we pray. Amen.